Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Jono. If I haven't met you, it's lovely to meet you now. Uh, and Phil and Wendy, top-notch Bible reading, and I reckon that only took one take, not, not 20, but there you go. Hey, a, a mate of mine sent me a video this week. Uh, it's a compilation of corporate responses to coronavirus, uh, and it's kind of all mashed up all of them put together. A dozen or so different companies, Toyota, Nissan, U-Haul, Uber, Facebook, banks, restaurants, you know, telephone companies, grocery stores, they're all just smashed up together in this ad. Uh, but here's what's great about it. They're eerily similar. It, it's quite freaky to watch. They all start off with this kind of sober piano music that kind of echoes through empty spaces. And then they remind you that these companies have been around for years. Nissan, we've been with you through thick and thin. And then they drop all these buzzwords into the video that make you feel like they really care. People, family, together, close, connected comfort, home. And every single one of them, they've got the same message. They're all saying, we're here for you. We're here to help. We'll get through this together. And, and then each, each of them, at the end of their ads, the, the piano turns into this exhilarating piano riff that sounds like the good part of every Coldplay song. And, and then they put it all together side by side. And it's, it's, it's amazing. They're all the same. The mate who sent it to me, he gave it this caption. He said, Nothing can separate you from the love of companies that need your money to avoid going bankrupt. Now, who of us is encouraged by those ads? They're popping up everywhere. If you watch TV still, these ads are all over the place. Who's excited that Nissan has been with us through thick and thin, that Toyota is here for you? I don't reckon any of us are. Now, why not? Why isn't that exciting? Well, I think the reason is that stuff like that is, it's easy to say, it's easy to put some piano music to it and put it in an ad, but it's actually quite hard to do. And really, those promises are only as good as the person who's making them. Now, rightly so, those companies exist to make money. That's their businesses, that's their job. They're just trying to make money. But they're not there to be here for you. They're not there to be in this together. They're not here to help their businesses. And so those messages, are, they promise big, but I'm not really excited by them. Now, this passage here this morning in front of us, it has an incredible message. It shouts something loud and clear, God loves you. That's, that's a big deal. But what does that do for you this morning? Does that, does that excite you? Does that blow that mind, does that blow your mind? Does that help you in the here and now in the midst of a chaotic world? What does that do for you this morning as you hear those words, God loves you? Now, if you're not a Christian, I take it you might come to that statement with some skepticism and maybe it doesn't do much for, all, for you at all, perhaps. Uh, but for those of us who are Christians, I think we know that we should be really excited by that. That should be a really big deal. That should be really good news. But I wonder if on hearing that this morning, I wonder if it's possible that that news kind of falls a little bit flatly for you. Now, why, why is that? It could be that this is a truth that we've heard so many times over and over that we've grown cold to it, perhaps. And maybe you've gotten so used to hearing that, yeah, God loves you, that we kind of expect it, like it's God's job. Well, of course he does. Uh, or... Perhaps it could be this morning that you've not properly understood who this God is, whom the Bible says loves us. Because when you see God clearly for who he is, then that statement that God loves you, 
that statement becomes immense. Now, this morning, we are really looking at some incredibly good news. The declaration that God loves us. It's really good news, but my hope is this morning we're going to see why that's such good news. That's where we're headed. Uh, This isn't just some feel-good, sentimental message. It's not some meme that you can just slide past in your your feed. It's good news. It's seriously good news. It's, It's the kind of news you can build your life on. So let's pray, and we'll have a look at it together. Let's pray. Well, Father God, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes to see how good the promises in front of us are this morning. Father, I pray that you would capture us again, perhaps with words that are familiar, uh, verses that we've read again and again. I pray, Lord, that you would strike us afresh with the good news of this passage. I pray that you'd grip us by it. I pray that you would capture our hearts by it. I pray that you'd transform our lives by it. And we pray all of this for our good, but for your glory. Amen. Well, here's the first huge thing that you've got to see in this passage this morning. Here it is. God is unstoppable. So pick it up with me in verse 31. Come there with me. You'll see why this is such a big deal in a moment. You'll see. Verse 31, it says there, what then shall we say in response to these things? Now, what are these things? What are the things he's responding to? I take it it's the stuff that Paul's just been saying in the verses previous. It it might even be the whole book of Romans up to this point. We'll come back to that. But he says, what do we say in response to these things? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, there's an assumption built into that statement. As Paul writes there, he's assuming something, isn't he? If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the assumption? Imagine a couple of kindy kids and they're in the playground at school and there's some year six bullies and they're doing their bully thing. They're tough and scary and they're beating them up. But then one of the kindy kids turns to his mate and says, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about the bullies. My dad's a professional boxer. What's the assumption there? Well, the assumption is that an adult who's a professional boxer can destroy a bunch of school bullies, which might create its own problems because you end up in jail. But anyway, the assumption is this dad can cream these year six kids. If God is for us, who can be against us? What's the assumption? God is unopposable. He's unstoppable. And that's why it's such good news to hear that this God loves you. Because that's who he is. And that God is the one who's in your corner. And if he's for you, then no one can be against us. Now, if you look down in verse 33, you'll see more about the God who is in our corner. And it really is incredible. Look at verse 33 there. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Now, I think the context of this is it's looking forward to the day when we will stand before God as our judge. And on that day, I'll need to answer for my life, for every sinful moment, for every selfish thought, all the stuff that I just wish no one else would know about. On that day, my life will be brought into the light. That's a scary thought. It's a scary context. And so on that day, Will I be guilty? Will Satan be able to look at me and say, look at him, look at the mess, look, look at his guilt. Will my own sin cry out against me on that day? No. Who will bring any charge? Who will condemn? Verse 34, no one. 
Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And so no Satan, no sin, nothing will be able to condemn us on that day because of Christ who died for us so that our debt is paid. And more than that, he's alive today and he's interceding. He's intervening for us at God's side. He's in our corner. He's, he's on our team. He's got your back. So two things. Step one, Jesus dies, pays for our sins. Step two, for all eternity, if any charge is brought against you, against you if Satan were to come and whisper, look at that one. He doesn't belong here. Look at his sin. Look at the stuff he did. Look at the thoughts he had. He's so unworthy. If Satan were to whisper that, there is Jesus interceding for us at God's side. That sin is paid for. He's not worthy, but I am. And I died in his place. That Jesus, that God is unstoppable and he's in our corner. And so friends, when you sin, when, when you fall again, when you feel so lost and unworthy, when your sin makes you go, well, how could God want anything to do with someone like me? When you feel those things, well, the answer isn't just be better, try harder, make yourself more lovable. That's not it. The answer is trust. Trust Jesus and remember that he's in your corner. You're not worthy, but his death makes you worthy. You are guilty, but because he died and because he intercedes for you, the verdict will always be not guilty. And so cling to that. And get this, not only is Jesus the Son, the Son of God, is, not only is he in our corner, so is God the Father as well. Notice verse 33 says, who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? See, the same God who has chosen us is the God who justifies us. Have a little look back at the, at the resume of God the Father and what he's been doing in the world. Uh, this is what Paul's talking about. Verse 31, when he says, what do we say in response to these things? Come back to verse 29 and have a look at these things. Verse 29. He says, for those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. These incredible verses here in Romans 8, they've been called the golden chain of salvation. Because each step is a link in a chain that forms this unbreakable chain of God's work on your behalf for your salvation. Step one, God foreknows us in all eternity. Step two, those he foreknew, he predestines, he predetermines their salvation. Verse 33 uses the word chosen. And then, so because we are predestined, it says that we're called. As sure as our predestining is, so is our calling. God calls us by his mighty word and we come to him. And because we've been called, we are justified. Our sin is paid for. There's no charge that can be laid against us. And because we are justified, as sure as that fact is, he says, we're glorified. 
We will be glorified in heaven with Jesus. But notice, he speaks as if it's something that's already happened. This is such a sure thing that it's, it's as if it's already been done, even though chronologically, we're not in heaven yet. It's the golden chain of salvation. Each link as unbreakable as the next. It's a sure thing. It's a certainty because God is unstoppable. He's sovereign. He rules everything, even even your salvation. Now, some people hear that. They hear these things and it raises all sorts of questions for people, perhaps even anger. You know, why is God allowed to choose? How can God predestine who he'll save? Now, if you've got questions about that, they're they're good and real questions to ask and feel free to ask them. I'm not going to dig into that right now. You can shoot through questions for question time if you want. But for Paul, this isn't something to get angry about. This isn't even something to have endless cerebral conversations about. This is the best news in the world. He's stoked on it. It's the grounds of his confidence. See, why trust in a God who's not supposed to be in control, who's not allowed to determine what the future will bring? What confidence can we have in a God who doesn't know what's coming and what, where we're headed? That's not our God. That's not who he is. The God of the Bible is the one who's in control and it's good. What great comfort that brings. Get the logic of this. Verses 29 and 30. If God is all-powerful, unstoppable, his plans never fail, he knows all things, he rules all things, if that God has chosen us, if that God has justified us, if that God will see us glorified in heaven, if that is who God is... Verse 31, what do you say in response to these things? If that God is for us, who could be against us? It's the best news in the world. Now, why, why do we gain so little comfort to hear from Toyota and Nissan and Uber that they're here for you? Why does that bring so little comfort? Well, because they're actually pretty powerless, I mean, Virgin Airlines, this week, Virgin Airlines, they could have had the best intentions in the world for you, which is hard to believe on its own, they're just another business, but even if they did, that can't stop them going bankrupt. They're not in control, they're powerless. Forget companies and their dubious love for you for a second. Imagine the best parent. Imagine the best mother who loves their child deeply. It's really good to be told that you're loved by a mother like that. That's a good thing, um, that they're there for you, that, that they want your best. That's good. But if you're a parent, you know that you can't protect your kids from this world, don't you? You know that you can't, want, you can't do what you want to have happen in their lives. You can want their best, but you can't will their best to happen and have it happen. You can't stop viruses and anxiety and the mess of this world intruding in. You can't. Not so with our God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's always in control. Verse 28 says that he's always working for our good, for those who, know, who love him. His plans never fail. He's the judge and the one who justifies. He's our intercessor. He's unstoppable. And so when you hear that that God is for you, that this one loves you and that doesn't really do anything for you and you kind of go, yeah, cool. Well, here's the problem. Your God is too small. Our world's problem isn't that we don't think God is loving. 
We presume on that, we expect it of him, we assume it's his job. Our problem is that we've lost sight of how big our God is. And so when we hear God loves us, we go, yeah, cool, that's nice. But it's, it's mind-blowing. It really is mind-blowing. In fact, the bigger your view of God is, the more clearly you see him for who he is, actually the harder it becomes to believe that that God would or should love us. So you have a look at Psalm 8. This is going to come up on the screen. This incredible set of verses, they declare the majesty of God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, is describing the majesty of God. When I look at all of that, verse 4, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. Who am I that you're mindful of me? That this God would care for me. That this God would love me. (laughs) Who am I? What is mankind that you're mindful of me? That's a shocking thought. That's a a plot twist. It's unexpected. You're meant to go, what? This God loves me? That's incredible. And so here's the second thing, the second big thing that we need to grab hold of this morning. The unstoppable God has an unstoppable love for you. Now this is strikingly clear in verse 32. Check it out there in verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God the Father didn't spare his son. He gave him up to death on a cross. He was given for you. And so here's the point. If God's given his own son, well then of course he'll give us all things. Now I take it that's all things that we need, not all things that we just want. And that's a really important distinction. As a dad who loves my kids, I don't just give my kids all the things that they want. If I did that, they'd sleep in a bed made of Lego and eat M&Ms and Milo for breakfast, right? Our Father God, He knows our needs better than we do. And so He acts accordingly to His will. He gives us all things according to his good will. Verse 28, he's always working good for the, the he's working good in all things for those who love him. He's always working their good, but we need to get this, verse 28, the good that God is working, verse 32, the all things that he'll give us, that's orientated toward heaven, toward our eternal salvation. Verse 28, there's this massive promise. Go back there and have a look at it. Look at verse 28 there. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So there's this huge promise that he makes in verse 28, but Paul doesn't kind of stop there and go, that's pretty good, right? You fill that space. What do you, what do you think you need? What's the good that you want God to bring? You know, Ferrari sounds good to me. Uh, riches sounds good to me, pain-free life, I'll take it, sounds good. God's not an all-powerful version of Santa Claus up at Aaron Affair and you come and sit on his knee and he'll give you what you, you want. No, no. 
It's much better than that. God's sovereign. He knows all. His plans are better. His ways are high. His goals are are better than our goals. And God doesn't leave us in the dark about what he's doing. He tells us the good that he's working in us. Look at verse 29. To see his chosen people conformed to the image of his son. To see them called and justified and secure and one day see them glorified in heaven. That's the good that God is working for in you. If you're a Christian, that's what God's doing. That's the end game. That's the context in verse 32 where he says he'll graciously give us all things to that goal. And so back in verse 32, come back there, verse 32. Do you see the logic of that verse? Do you see why we can have such confidence that God is working for our good, that he does love us, that he will give us everything we need and you can have no doubt about that. Do you see the logic there? All my illustrations have been about parents and kids for some reason today, but I'll I'll run with it. Imagine a father whose daughter is really sick. Um, She's in a lot of trouble. This girl desperately needs a new kidney. And the good news is that the father's a match. He can donate one of his. And so he looks at doing the surgery and the surgery is risky. Um, it, it could cost him his life. It could kill him. And even afterwards, his body's not going to be the same. You know, his life expectancy will go down. There's a, there's a huge price tag attached to giving away one of his kidneys. Uh, but he does it. The father goes under the knife and, and the surgery is a success. And so you've got a kidney on ice ready to be given to his daughter. It's been done. He's done the huge thing. He's gone under the knife. Imagine how crazy it would be at that point if that dad kind of comes to after his surgery and, he, and he, then he gets ready for the daughter's operation and he's like, $900 for a kidney transplant to be put in? That's a bit steep. How much paperwork do I have to do here? Like, this is like 10 pages of paperwork and this looks a bit boring to me. I, I don't really know if I'm in for this whole kidney transplant thing anymore. Well, I reckon, kids, let's go home. We'll get Maccas on the way. Let's call it a day. That's ridiculous. That's outrageous. It's stupid. Of course, he's not going to hold back now. Of course, he's not going to see this through. He's done the big thing. He's done the hard thing. And so, of course, the surgery will go ahead. That's God's love for you. He gave up his son for us. He's done the big thing. He's done the hardest thing. He's made the, the, the most tremendous sacrifice. He's paid the ultimate price already. It's been done. And so, of course, he'll give us everything else we need to see us glorified in heaven. Which means at least two things for us this morning. Number one, friends, you can trust that God will provide. You can trust him with that, that he'll provide everything you need. All that you need to keep following Jesus, to be made more like him, to stay in Christ until the end, to see you safe in heaven, God will provide. And you can trust him for it. You can have confidence. And even in the times where you look around at the externals in your life and you go, it doesn't feel like God's providing, it doesn't feel like God's giving me what I need, you can trust that he knows better and you can trust that he is providing still. Second, you can have confidence, absolute confidence, that God's love for you is immense. Our world is in the middle of some pretty crazy times right now. And it seems like here in Australia, we've got a little bit of a a break from that and we're doing pretty well. And that's good. Thank God for that. But Australia or or the rest of the world, I think everyone is asking questions about, well, if there is a God, what is he doing? 
Seriously, what is he doing? A natural question that's coming up for people is, if God loves me, then why is he doing this? Does God love me? Because it's starting to feel like he doesn't. Well, the cross of Christ screams out the answer. Yes, a thousand times over, yes, he loves you. The cross of Jesus, it stands as a monument to the unassailable fact that God loves you. It's so clear, it's demonstrated there. He doesn't just say it, he's shown it. And so you can have confidence that God loves you. Even as you wrestle with big questions about suffering and why is this happening and what is God doing, they're good questions to ask and you can ask those questions. But as you do that, friends, don't doubt the love of God for you. You don't need to doubt his love for you. If you're ever tempted to doubt it, if you ever feel like, I don't know if he does, look again to the cross. Look again and see Jesus and see it displayed there to you and preach to yourself, I don't get it all, I don't have all the answers, I don't know why God's doing whatever, but I do know this, God loves me. Preach that to yourself. See, fr friends, God's love is really, really good. It's precious. And so the natural question that kind of flows in this passage from here is, well, can I lose it? Can something separate me from God's love? And well, the rest of the passage, it rams home this point. It shows us the unstoppable nature of God's love for us. Pick it up in verse 35. He says, here's the question. Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. See, Christians are to expect hard stuff. Whatever these promises mean, they don't mean that you get to escape the hard stuff in life. That list in verse 35, that, that's, Paul's not being imaginative there and just kind of making up some fancy stuff. He's talking from first-hand experience. Check out 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. This stuff happened to him. Verse 36 is a quote from God's Word in the Psalms. And it's proving that God's people should expect suffering. It's normal. And so then the question is, with all this stuff that life will throw at us, can that take away God's love? Can it separate us? Well, verse 37, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Is anything going to separate us from God's love? No. And no, it's not going to separate us. In fact, in all these things, we're, we're more than okay. We're not just scraping by. It says that we're conquerors. It says we're victorious. <laughs> now, before pride kicks in, we're not victorious because we're awesome. We're conquerors because of him who loved us. It's God's victory, not ours. But we share in it. We've got more than enough. We have everything we need. And so then Paul brings it home with these incredible words. Verse 38, he says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, anything this life can throw at you now, the death that is certainly coming in the future, neither angels nor demons, all spiritual powers, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, whatever circumstance you are in right now, Whatever circumstance that you fear the future may bring, whatever it could bring, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Just to be clear, that's everything. He said everything now. Nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is unstoppable. And so if you're in Christ, that can't be taken away from you. You can't lose it. And so keep your trust in him. Keep trusting in that one. Friends, this is the best news in the world. We've seen two pretty simple things today, really. It's not complicated. We've seen the God we follow. He's unstoppable. We've seen the kind of love that God has for his people. It's unstoppable. It's simple, but it really does change everything. This is something to build your life on. This is a foundation to build your life on. It's a rock to cling to when it feels like everything else in life is being stripped away. And so what do you do with it? Well, first of all, you've got to get this. This love of God, the one who rules all things, that love is held out as a promise to those who are Christians. Verse 39, it's for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you in Christ Jesus? Do you know him? Do you belong to him? Is he your Lord? Is he your saviour? Because that's how you get in Christ Jesus. You have him as your Lord and your saviour. Is that you? Because that's the context where you get to know this incredible blessing. We call this series Gospel Blessings. That's the context where you can grab hold of this for yourself. It's when you're in Christ. If you're not in Jesus, you remain unforgiven in your sin. Without Jesus, you cannot have confidence that you're right with God. You can be sure that you're not. It's in Christ Jesus. Is that you? If it isn't, come to him. Make him your Lord. Make him your saviour. You've got to be in him. Secondly, though, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, friends, these promises are ours. And so let God's love for you be the thing that sustains you in any and every season. God's love is rock solid in the face of all change. It feels like everything is changing in the world at the moment, doesn't it? It just feels like everything is moving. Changes about what you can and can't do and you go to the beach, you can't or whatever. Changes in the way you have fun and socialise and what even friendships look like anymore. Changes with work, everything's at home. Changes with church. Look at us, we're not physically together right now. Huge change going on everywhere. It, it, feels, it feels like everything's up for grabs at the moment. It feels like everything's moving, it's all just spinning. God's love for you hasn't changed. God's love for you won't change. It's a constant into all eternity. And so it's a rock. It's a place of stability. It's where everything else is moving and fluid. You can trust in this. And second, God's love is rock solid in suffering. You, you could lose everything in this life. You could get really sick and be hospitalised or chronically ill. Uh, People you love will die. You will die as well. You you could even, as Paul talks about here in this passage, you could be persecuted for being a Christian. You could get killed for being a Christian. But none of that can touch what you have in Jesus Christ. And so this is a promise to live your whole life by. Just stop and think for a moment about something that scares you. Something that you fear. I don't mean like, evil clowns and snakes, like real stuff, real fears that you have, the kind of stuff that keeps you awake at night, 
Think about that for a second. I don't know what comes to mind. It could be seeing your family break down and split up. It could be losing loved ones. It could be stuff you're in the middle of right now as well. It could be, it could be losing your job, losing your security, seeing your super that had you ready for retirement just disappear, <laughs> losing your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or, or never finding that girlfriend or boyfriend. Depression that sets in and just settles and stays as a constant hum. <laughs> Anxiety that just escalates and gets out of control. Sickness, corona, whatever it is, those things cannot touch God's love for you in Christ Jesus because it's eternal, it's secure, it's kept safely for us in heaven. It's not something that anything in this life can just take it away from us. And so when pain and suffering in this life sets in, it can be so hard. It, It really does hurt. It's brutal, but it is temporary. None of the stuff that this life brings can chase you into heaven, where there'll be no more pain or tears or suffering anymore. It's a bulletproof hope. It's a bulletproof confidence that we can have in God's love now, that no matter what comes your way, the most important thing, the eternal thing, is secure. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Father God, thank you for the wonderful hope of heaven that we have, uh, where we can know you for all eternity and enjoy your love for all eternity. And Lord, thank you that we don't have to wait till heaven to know your love. Thank you that it's been shown so clearly to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and we can trust you for all things now. And so, Father, please help us to be people of trust. Help us to be people of dependence. Pray that the love you've shown us, I pray that the cross of Christ would be the grounds for our confidence, the thing that we anchor ourselves to in all seasons. Lord, for those of us who are struggling right now, life is particularly hard, I pray that you'd help those people to cling all the more to Jesus and the love that you have for us in him. Amen.